Today, I'll be talking with Annabelle from Hervey Bay, Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Annabelle. Let's talk. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great. Uh, looking forward to, you know, having a good conversation. Um, when when the virus first hit um, back in, in February or, or, you know, March, whatever it was, um, what was your initial reaction to what was going on? Um, I think I was pretty scared, first of all, um, and quite unbelieving about what was unfolding as well. Um, I'm an Aussie mum of two, but I'm originally from the UK and I've only been in Australia for um, 10 years, uh, 12 years. And I planned to go back. I had a holiday to go back to the UK to see my dad um, and my family there. On the 30th of March, we were due to fly. I'd taken a month off work um, and the kids had taken a month off school and my husband was staying here and we were just going to go back to the UK. So we were getting more and more concerned that it wasn't going to happen. Um, and it was just the strangest thing watching it all unfold, especially we seem so far away from it here in Australia. It seems so distant to us. Yeah, I mean, you 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 seem to have done so well with this, um, like you guys and New Zealand, especially. Um, like I was I was looking at uh, briefly at your numbers just before we started and we thought we were doing fairly well because we're, you know, we're in the middle of Canada. We're not one of the, you know, bigger population, you know, populated areas. So I thought we were doing fairly well, but our numbers are quite a bit, you know, bigger than your numbers. So you guys have done extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. We've been extremely lucky. And it's, um, I think a big part of it is being on an Island and it's also because we're down under, we do seem to be, I've, I've kind of been, um, struggling for the last decade that we're the last to get news fashion everything but it kind of worked in our favor here because we were the last to to get the pandemic so we were, our leaders are quite quick to close the doors and um yeah and we were very fortunate but once i got past the um disappointment over having to cancel my plans to go back to the uk um i found i was getting very busy with work anyway i work as a as a alcohol reset coach, helping women change their relationship with alcohol. And with the pandemic hitting and the lockdown that we experienced in the in Australia, even though it wasn't as um, bad as it is in other parts of the world, I suddenly had an awful lot of people reaching out to me that were drinking really heavily and drinking a lot more than before. I had some heartbreaking stories about women whose um, other halves, whose partners were drinking and feeling very trapped. And that was, um, they were feeling... Um, they were really struggling with lockdown, their partners were, and that was affecting women. And that was quite heartbreaking. But yeah, my 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 biggest um, clients were the women who were in lockdown and not feeling connected anymore. I'm feeling very cut off from everything. And that just exploded yeah. everything. I think a lot of people think too much in lockdown. Oh, for sure. And I've talked to a few people, um, you know, some in the States and, and, and you know, all over the place. And I wouldn't say it's a common theme, but it definitely, I've talked to a number of people who have said they, you know, they started drinking more at the, you know, especially at the beginning when they were first locked down. And, um, you know, and some of them, 
you know, it, it took it took a real effort to to sort of swing back out of that. They 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 realized quickly that, you know, this is this is not where I want to go. Or, you know, they may they may have had issues with with um, you know alcohol abuse or or you know drug abuse and and that sort of thing. So they they already knew the signs, and and but I I I, th- I think just the stress of this whole thing, it, you know. I can't imagine what it's doing to to somebody who who already has that addiction. Um, yeah, it's got to be it's got to be yeah. tough to just and and you you don't have you know uh, the ability just to go for coffee with people like you know to sort of like you know my parents were were in AA when I was a kid and 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 so I I I, I sort of grew up as, as a teenager with, you know, my parents ha- had a lot of friends in, 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 in the program. So I know that they, they, you know, it was a big thing that social interaction to help each other through the tough times. So they wouldn't, you know, go back to drinking and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can imagine not having that ability where, where you're just locked down now in, in a lot of cases to, to, you know, the one thing that sort of saves you from this and you're not able to do that. It's, it's got to make things really difficult, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think one of the things that I advocate for is that we don't recognize that addiction is a spectrum. So as a society, we have normal drinkers and we recognize alcoholics who are generally, you know, really struggling and have hit bottom and gone to AA. But drinking addiction is actually a massive spectrum. And there's a whole heap of people in the middle who are stuck and find themselves drinking too much and they want to change their relationship with alcohol, but they can't because they can't, they don't want to think that they're an, an alcoholic and quite often they're not, but they're also not drinking normally as we put it so it's really tough in our society we don't recognize all these middle people it's estimated that one in five australian women uh, would like to change their relationship with alcohol they're drinking more than they want but because they don't identify as alcoholic and they don't want to go to aa or rehab they're not they're not getting any help and it's i could this is my experience this is what happened to me and i was so crushed by shame for so many years the stigma attached to being an alcoholic was just just kept me trapped, kept me in this very small life that I hated for a very long time. And I didn't know what to do. And I know there are so many women out there who are in the same situation. So we talk about gray area drinkers who are physiologically addicted rather than physically addicted. So they can stop if they have to, they can stop for a night or two if they're driving or um, I even stopped for nine months twice when I was pregnant, but I didn't like it very much. So people who don't get the shakes, who aren't pouring vodka on their cornflakes, but who find themselves really, really looking forward to wine o'clock every night. Yeah. And the, can't stop at one, they want more than one. Yeah. Yeah. So they might not have that that actual physical addiction to the but they but they just like it that it causes issues. Um and, and you're right. I mean, they must sort of find themselves, well, I, I, you know, I'm not in a position to go get help in, in, in these places because I'm not in that group, right? I just drink a little too much here and there. So, yeah, I, I, and, 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 and that would even be, you know, the, I think this pandemic would even make that worse because it just gives you more time to do that even though, yeah. you know, like you say, yeah. you know, it, it, they might 
you know, have, like I talked to one guy, he said, you know, he'd get up in the morning and, and he started, you know, it'd be like 11 o'clock and, he, and he'd have a beer or, or a shot or something. And then it got to be two and three. And, and he said it just happened so easily that he didn't, you know, at first it was just sort of, well, let's just have it. We got nothing else to do. We can't go outside. We can't do this. We can't whatever. And it, and he, it just sort of crept up on him. You know, and, and he, luckily yeah. for him, he, he you know, he, I guess he talked to his girlfriend, talked to some friends or his wife and some friends and, you know, sort of turned it around. But I, I could see that just the boredom, if, if nothing else, you know, just gives you more time to do this. You're not at work. So you do, you, you know, if you do your drinking at home and you're at home all the time now. Yes. Yeah. Right. And a lot of us who are grey area drinkers, we drink to numb, to get away from our uncomfortable feelings. And drinking is a really quick way to transition away from if you're feeling, um, if you're from sitting with thoughts that you don't like very much. So drinking is really a really easy way to do that. And that's why a lot of us are drinking too much, because we're not used to sitting with our feelings. We'll stuff it down with alcohol or with food or something else. And when you're sitting at home all day, all you've got is your feelings and you've got your kids maybe and your partner as well um, who are sort of adding to the stress. And the way that our brains work, we've got this ancient part of our brains, a survival part of our brains called the limbic system. And it's only got three things it wants to do. And one is to move us away from pain. The other is to move us towards pleasure. And the third thing is to do both of those things with as little, expending as little energy as possible. So whenever we feel perceived pain, which is stress or boredom, we have this kind of reminder to go and have a drink because that's perceived pleasure. So we're constantly, the survival part of our brain is overriding our prefrontal cortex, which is where we make our rational decisions and just making us want to drink the whole time. And then because we think that we're broken or damaged or there's something wrong with us because we keep wanting to drink, we beat ourselves up. And that's more pain. So we want to drink even more. So we're, we're stuck in this horrible cycle of um, drinking to kind of escape from ourselves, but we're always there. And you know when it's starting to become a problem, the people who come, who I talk to, are generally people who are starting to Google things like, am I an alcoholic or how do I cut back? Or when you're starting to feel like you're trapped in drinking and it's actually becoming the problem rather than solution, that's what happens. And there's so many of us and we're often missing connection to ourselves and to other people. and. In lockdown, that's a real issue. So we have a lot of people from the UK. We, uh, When Melbourne was in lockdown, that part of Australia, we had a lot of people from there as well. And then as lockdown lifts, they're often feeling a lot better and they've got the tools to move forward and kind of escape from this trap that they've put themselves in. Drinking, as women, we, we drink for a whole load of reasons. And one of them is we're not very good at self-validation. So if you can connect with other people and you can feel seen and have that space held for you, it can really make you feel better. But it's a horrible trap, the whole drinking thing. And as a society, I don't think we recognise that it is, you know, there's there's so many different shades to drinking. It's not just on or off. It's not a binary thing. There's a whole range in the middle where people are drinking too much and really feeling trapped. And it's a massive problem in lockdown. We've actually got friends whose parents own a liquor store, a Dan Murphy's, a bottle shop and um and they've been doing christmas numbers for many months in lockdown like they're just doing those kind of figures month after month because people are just buying so much alcohol it's really scary so what what kind of uh, like like personally what kind of increase have you noticed in in 
I don't know, I, I, cases is probably not the right word, but just just in in um, just the drinking activity, like 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 maybe from from you know women that you've already been dealing with, do you notice a huge increase in 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 the problems they're having now as opposed to before? Like, is the pandemic a large cause of of real spikes in in this? Yeah, it's definitely causing a big um, a big spike in drinking too much. Not so much with the people that I'm with, but people, the new customers coming to, you know, new clients coming in, um, that's where I'm noticing it. There's more and more women saying, I'm really struggling with my drinking now. And because it's not, because they're not going out and meeting up with friends and drinking, it's become very becoming very clear to them that they're drinking at home. And that five o'clock, which was usually wine o'clock, is creeping forward, like you said about the, the guy earlier. So he's... Um, he was having shots at 11 o'clock. Some of my people are saying, oh, it's lunchtime. I can just have my wine and a coffee mug whilst I'm on my Zoom meetings. Or um, they're just finding different reasons to start drinking earlier at home. And then that's, and that's so scary because you, you know you're out of control when you think, I really shouldn't be doing this, but I am. And you find yourself drinking more in the afternoon and then the evening. And then for some reason, people who are drinking too much, myself included, went back in the day when I was, we wake up at three o'clock in the morning, it's always three o'clock, and you feel terrible, your head's pounding, your mouth feels dry and awful, your stomachs are really upset, you're busting to go to the loo, but your your biggest thing is this self-loathing that you have, and it's like, oh God, I did it again, Why? what's wrong with me? I promised myself I wouldn't, and I, and I drank too much again last night, and I swore I wouldn't. So you just lie there and toss and turn for an hour or so and then go back to sleep and wake up in the morning and vow to yourself you're not going to do it again. But by the time two or three o'clock comes around, you're feeling stressed again and you've forgotten how bad the hangover was making you feel and you just think, oh, I could probably just have one, but I will just stop at one today. And then you have one. And of course, when you've had one, it's, you know, your all your inhibitions are weakened. So it's much easier to have a second one and then a third and think, oh, I'll start again tomorrow. And this, there's this whole cycle going on. So there's a real spike in women becoming aware of that cycle, that awful um, dark cycle happening to them. And it just breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart that so many women are so upset when they do first feel seen, when we first talk about it. They There's often, you know, this real kind of overwhelming sense of, loss and sadness and anger that we don't talk about this stuff that it's not talked about that we say there's you know like these normal people or there's alcoholics who go to AA and there isn't any middle ground we don't allow people to be seen in the middle ground and I think it's really important that we do and that's why I love talking about it and advocating for those women who are stuck there who feel unseen and feel helpless and think there's something wrong with them and it's not alcohol is just an addictive substance and if you drink enough of it then you get become addicted. It's that simple. See that that that's what I was that's that's what I was just thinking about, and I was going to ask: do, do you think that you know because of the pandemic and and you know the the um, the growth in numbers um, of of you know or, or just the amount that people are able to drink and are drinking? Do you think that this is going to push a certain percentage of those into like from the middle into actual being you know addicted? Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that will happen because it exacerbates all those behaviours, all those coping mechanisms that we're using to deal with all the hard bits in our life. And life gets harder. Like, you know, when you're locked in your house and you can't do too much, you can't exercise 
or um, not very frequently, you can't see your friends, you can't get out to work, you can't feel good in other ways, life gets an awful lot harder and you're left just looking at yourself in the mirror. And quite often we're hard on ourselves, you know, especially women, for some reason, we're brought up to be good and quiet and do as we're told and serve everybody else. And there's this whole, um, there's a phrase in Australia called the burnt chop syndrome where women, you know, they serve everybody else their dinner. If there's a burnt chop, they'll take it themselves. And that, to me, that summarizes how women operate very often. We're really bad at advocating for ourselves. We just say, oh, I'll take the worst bit. I, you know, it's my job to be the caregiver, the supporter, um, the bedrock. That's my job. And my job isn't to put myself first. But when we don't put ourselves first, then we're in so much pain that we need to find ways of making ourselves feel good. And having a glass of alcohol, having a glass of wine is a shortcut to making ourselves feel good. So we just reach for it as a way to, to boost ourselves up. We do a really, really bad job of putting ourselves first. And that's even harder when we're in lockdown to take care of ourselves yeah and i think we, we yeah well it's and it's and it's funny that you mentioned that as well because um one of the first uh people i talked to on here was uh, a woman from melbourne and and one of the things we discussed was she was saying how um you know like she was her husband was working from home she was still um going to work but they had three kids at home um, you know, all, all these things going on. And, and she said that it, it got to a point where she was so focused on, on her family, making sure the kids were, you know, getting what they needed, making sure her husband, you know, was able to get the space and time to do his job. And, you know, that she said she would sit and realize it was like five in the afternoon and she hadn't eaten breakfast yet. And, and she, oh, she just needed to stop and, and, and just sort of, I need to take care of myself a little bit here. And, and it just kind of woke her up to the fact that she just was putting everything ahead of her. And, and we, you know, we talked about how in the long run, you know, that would, would have been detrimental to the whole family if, because she's the caregiver, she's, she's the nurturer, she's, she's steering the ship. In you know, in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, you know, the 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 woman of the household is is, I think, a lot more important than we give them credit for. Um, and and I think a lot of them just don't take the time to look after themselves. They're too busy focusing on everybody else in the family to to worry about their own mental health needs. You know. Yeah, that's exactly right, and we're so good at that, and that's the way we're brought up. We're brought up to serve. And to look after everybody else and a lot of the women that i work with as well they're empaths and highly sensitive people and they're very attuned to everybody else's needs and it gets noisy in your head you know when you're taking care of everybody else and you've got everyone else's chatter going on you sometimes just need to find a way to turn the volume down on all that stuff going on in your head and quite often for some women they've just got into the habit of doing that through alcohol so when we work out how to uh, rewire those those habit loops in our brain we have to look at different ways of taking care of ourselves and then address the habit that it has to be this two-pronged approach because you can't just deal with the addiction and not provide any other way for women to support themselves to take care of themselves and it's such a mindset issue we have we have this mindset that we have to do everything perfectly we have to get it all right. And if we don't, we beat ourselves up. So quite often, often when women start trying to cut back on their drinking and they can't, they give themselves a hard time about that. And then that 
feels like pain. So they want to drink more to block out the pain. So it just goes round and round and round. And we, you have to look at the whole thing, the whole package and what you're saying to yourself in your head is so incredibly important. One thing I actually teach my people to think about when they're um, struggling is that we we all stuff up and we all have this inner critic and it's how we engage with that inner critic that's so super important. And I think this is true for men and women, for everybody. Everyone's got this person being harsh about them in their head. Like everyone's got one. That's not in, you know, in dispute. But it's how we engage with them and it's whether we give them airtime or whether we think, right, okay, I didn't do so well then, but I'm working this out. I'm I'm doing the best I can here and this is what I've got right and I'm going to keep moving in this direction. So you can't just throw a pity party and feel sorry for yourself and feel that life is so hard because, you know, it's hard for a lot of people. You have to just recognize that something is making you behave in a certain way that you're choosing to drink. No one's making you like your family, your partner, your kids might be driving you nuts and you're having a drink to unwind. But it's you ultimately picking up that glass and putting it to your mouth and drinking. So you need to work out why you're doing that. You don't want to give your power to anybody else. You want to recognize that you're in charge of that hand and that drink and it's up to you what you put inside yourself. And if you do have a drink, that that's not the end of the world. There was a reason for that. Don't blame it on anyone else. Just recognize, think about it, get curious. Was I feeling fed up? Was I angry? Was I um, really annoyed because so-and-so did this again? Was I just, am I just exhausted? Is that why I'm drinking? Work out what it is, why you're having that drink and don't don't try and deflect to somebody else or feel sorry for yourself, but work out why you're doing it and allow yourself to think that you'll do better next time. There's, there's ways of getting out of it, that there's ways of breaking that addiction that don't involve AA or rehab. And it's really important, I think, to... Uh, to recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always, I, I, I don't know if, I, I've always kind of believed alcoholism was hereditary. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know, honestly. Um, I mean, I, I come from a long line of, of, you know, uncles, aunts, parents, all that kind of stuff. But I never was. Neither was my brother. Neither, you know, was my sister. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, there's there's so there's various bits of science about it. I think um, people have looked at whether it's genetic. Um, there is a disposition to um, compulsive behaviour, which is, you know, I'm one of those people. I'm a compulsive. If I do something, I can do it compulsively. So I just have to work out where I put that energy, um, and that can be hereditary. But what's also hereditary is coping mechanisms. So that's the reason why you often get alcoholics. Um, alcohol you know the whole thing running in the family that addiction running in the family because people see different ways of coping or not coping just having a drink to deal with stuff instead of talking about it or acknowledging feelings or feeling feelings all those kind of things so it definitely there can be a family disposition to it but there's a lot more going on there than just you know a gene that makes you an alcoholic there's a lot of coping strategies involved as well but the bottom line is it's an addictive substance alcohol is an addictive substance and if you drink it regularly enough you'll get addicted and it's it is just that simple alcohol companies i think big alcohol is going the way that big tobacco was 50 years ago it tries to muddy the waters and say it's all about drinking responsibly as if it doesn't know that it's an addictive substance it's trying to put it back onto the individual where some people can't they can't just have one or two drinks because they've been drinking so much so regularly they're addicted in the same way that nicotine is addictive right it's that simple 
They don't want us to, to talk about that because they're making, you know, heaps of money. It's the only only drug that you have to justify not taking. So there's a lot of anxiety in my community at Christmas because people will be saying, oh, just have one, it won't hurt. If they haven't outed themselves as an alcoholic, people are confused why they're not drinking. When it's crazy, we don't pressure people to smoke or to eat meat or anything like that. If people decide not to put that stuff in their bodies, that's up to them. We don't call recovering smokers ex-nicotinoholics. It's just normal. If you don't drink, that's normal. Drinking is the weird thing when you think about it. It's ethanol. It's stuff that we put into our cars. It's got different flavoring and preservatives in, but it's the same base stuff. Yeah. It's a toxin. It, it does no favors for our body at all. But if you're a, um, an alien dropped from outer space and you landed on Earth today and you looked around you, you'd think that alcohol was this harmless, fun thing that everybody does and you have to do to enjoy yourself. And it's not, it causes so much damage. And when we really look at our beliefs around alcohol, that we can't have fun without alcohol, that we can't um, can't bury someone without alcohol, we can't see someone get married without alcohol, we can't have fun with our friends without it. It's all bonkers, the whole thing's crazy. We have, we have all these feelings and we do all these things and we don't need alcohol to add to them. There's, yeah, the whole thing is just nuts. When you really shine a light on those deeply held beliefs that we have, it makes zero sense at all. And there's such a growing swell of the sober curious. There's this huge movement. The whole soberverse is taking off online, which is fabulous. When I stopped five years ago, there wasn't anything really. It was very, the whole thing was very nascent, just starting off. But now it's getting really big because more and more people are, are kind of doing the whole emperor's got no clothes on thing. They're saying, why exactly? Why are we drinking this toxin? Why are we putting this in our body? What people don't realize is that it's a it's a class one carcinogen. So the World Health Organization know that it causes five different types of cancer. It's not linked. It causes them. My dentist the other day, I went for a checkup and he said, do you smoke? And I said, no. And he said, do you drink? And I said, no, why? And he said, because that causes mouth cancer and esophageal cancer. It causes heaps of cancers. It, it causes breast cancer in women, but it's that is suppressed by the alcohol companies. And if you smoke and drink, then you're 10 times more likely to have cancers of the mouth. It's it's really sad. We just don't talk about a lot of this stuff. And I generally don't talk about it because I don't think fear tactics are the way to go. But it just incenses me so much that it's people are feeling trapped and sad and like they're broken and there's something wrong with them when the alcohol companies know full well that they're pushing this stuff on us and it's socially acceptable to drink. In fact, it's it's you have to justify why you're not drinking half the time and i'll just get off my soapbox there <laughs> no 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 that's yeah i mean i guess i i guess what you know now i'm i'm kind of curious so when like for instance when you found out you couldn't go back um to the uk for that trip you had planned um first how long it had been had it been since you had been back before that um, two years was the last time I went back. Okay. And yeah, interestingly enough, the last time I went back, I, I stopped drinking in 2016. I went back to the UK in 2018 with my husband and our two young daughters. And we had a fabulous time catching up with family. 
and I'd have the occasional glass of wine at family dinners. I, I didn't drink at all, but I was just being social. I didn't really like the, the taste very much. And then we met up in Paris. We went to Paris and met up with, with an old friend of mine who was also now married with kids. And we used to be drinking buddies back in the day in our 20s and 30s. We'd, um, yeah, we'd regularly party quite hard. And it was the first time we'd seen each other for ages. So we all went out to dinner as the two families. And then the families went back to the hotel and my friend and I carried on drinking. And we got horribly, horribly messed up. And it was one of the worst nights ever. I don't remember getting back to the hotel. I had ripped my clothes. I had, you know, I'd fallen over somewhere. Um, I don't remember getting back. It was horrible. And my husband said the next morning, that was so scary. I didn't know where you were or what was going on. And I had no way of finding you in a strange city. Mm -hmm. It was really frightening. And the whole thing, and I... The next day, we were both so hungover. We, everyone climbed the Eiffel Tower and we just sat at the bottom and felt sick. It was such a waste of a you know, beautiful holiday, of that beautiful day. And it just made me, it just gave me such a wake-up call. I thought maybe I could just have the odd drink here and there, but it just really reinforced in my head that I, you can't unpickle a cucumber, you know, when you've, when you've been drinking for long enough and you have these habits ingrained, it's really hard to just have, to, to just moderate. And it's, Drinking is no fun. It's just, for me now, there's no fun involved in it at all. So that was the last time I went back to the UK. That's a little side story. But yeah, it just made me realize there's, there's no point drinking for me. It's not for me. It doesn't help. So how, how, how did, so like a big disappointment, like not being able to go, you haven't been, you know, home in two years. Um, and, and, and you got a pandemic starting. How, how did you deal with the stress of that and not like keep yourself from having a drink. Do you know what I mean? Did, oh, was there anything yeah. that sort of in the back of your mind said, oh, I kind of, you know what I mean? Like, was there a risk of, of with everything that's going on that you might, you know, be, be at issue? Yeah. yeah, that's so funny you ask. And it, and, and because it didn't even cross my mind. It wouldn't even, not didn't even come up once because it doesn't solve anything having a drink. It just postpones the, sh the nasty stuff for later so no it didn't even cross my mind so I'm so happy not drinking now my life is infinitely more easy and manageable not drinking and and that's been that's proven to me every morning I wake up feeling fantastic and full of energy and having had some great REM sleep which you don't get when you're drinking every morning I'm grateful that I don't drink anymore but because I don't this is quite hard for people. Um, I find a lot of Canadians and Americans are very, the AA culture is massive there. And that's all about looking backwards and feeling regret and feeling sad that you're kind of, you're in recovery for the rest of your life, which I don't know what that is. It's like some bubble thing. Yeah. But there's another way of doing it, which is what I really enjoy, which is you, you look forward and you realize you're now free of those shackles. You don't count the days because you're now living your best life. You're not, you're not missing out on anything the people that are drinking are the ones that are trapped. So when you're not drinking, you're free, you're liberated, your life is normal. You're, like I say, like a like an ex-smoker. You don't go around thinking, oh, it's so sad, I can't smoke anymore. I'm an ex-smokeaholic. You just think, yay, I'm free. I don't have to worry about standing outside in the freezing cold and drink, you know, smoking on my own or whatever it is. So when you've got that mindset, you feel very free when you're not drinking. You don't feel like you're missing out. You don't feel like you need to drink because you're stressed because you know it doesn't actually help anything so it didn't cross my mind at all that I was to have a drink to help me deal with the disappointment of not going to the UK but that being said I was incredibly disappointed about not being able to go and I was in a 
funk for about a month probably and I I was just I was really really low but I recognized that in myself and I allowed myself to feel those feelings even though they were really difficult and uncomfortable and horrible feelings I was incredibly worried about my dad um, being older and that we didn't know how that pandemic would pan out and I didn't know what would happen I was very worried about um, what was going to happen there and I was really angry that I couldn't go and see him and I was I was just disappointed and angry on so many levels but I dealt with it by running a lot I decided to run I think it was a hundred k in a month which doesn't sound that much but I work as well oh, it, it adds that up was, yeah five you know I had to do like 25k a week so that was a good good few 5Ks and then a 10K at the weekend. And I really enjoyed that running. And I journaled a lot and I biked a lot. And we were very lucky. We're lucky where we live that we're by the beach and we we were still allowed out, um, you know, during the height of the whole thing. So I biked a lot and I cried a lot and I journaled and I ranted in my journal and eventually it passed. The feelings passed because that's what feelings are for. We have to feel them. We can't just squish them down or numb out from them with alcohol we have to actually feel them and then they pass when we stop resisting them when we stop trying to not feel them then they just go quite quickly but it's when we try to stuff them down with a drink or whatever it is well, that's when they keep popping up that's and when they keep coming back and and you know that's another thing i i i've um discussed with with, with numerous people is i think a lot of people um when this is through are going to have a lot of mental health issues. They're going to have addiction issues. And I think a lot of these things are going to surface once we're done, not now, because I think a lot of people are just too busy worrying about, I got to put food on the table. How are my kids going to eat? You know, is my, you know, is my family going to be healthy? Is, am I still going to have a job? I think they're too busy worrying and just getting by day to day. Like they're just trying to get through that day that, they're, they're not able to think about what this is doing to their mental health. And I think once this is done, I think people are just going to be breaking down. Like when they're finally able to take a breath, they're going to, I think it's just going to, all this stuff is just going to come flooding out. And I think there's going to be issues all over. And, and, and I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of PTSD. I think there's going to be, hopefully we're going to be ready to, to, you know, address these things when it happens, because I think it's going to be massive. I think, I think that's really perceptive of you. I think that's absolutely right. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, I know it's just like when you go to work and when you're working for a long time and then you take a holiday, so many of us get sick those first couple of days because we can, because we've stopped work and it's okay to our bodies just finally collapse. And I think you're right. People are really holding it together in this pandemic. Um, here in Australia, it's not quite as bad because, um, yeah, we just don't have the same kind of lockdown problems. But I think in a lot of part, different parts of the world, there is this this kind of feeling that people are holding it together and is the light at the end of the tunnel. And when we get to the, the end of the tunnel, I think you're right, it's going to be, it's good to, we're going to have to deal with, with what's happened. It's interesting you use the word post-traumatic stress disorder as well because um, I just, yeah, I think that's something that, that a lot of people um, with addiction issues, they are dealing with some kind of stress or trauma. And I just wanted to share that with um, with my experience, so we, our youngest daughter, when she was a toddler, got very sick and 
we got very close to losing her. It was a real life or death. We were actually told to say goodbye to her at the hospital. We were told to come in and say our goodbyes. And um, if we wanted a priest, it was that kind of situation. This awful situation had been going on for weeks and weeks and it culminated in her resting on the operating table and it didn't look like she was, they were going to get her back. But then at the last minute, something amazing happened and she um, she came out of the coma and she's now fine. So 10 years on, she's this cheeky, fun little 10-year-old who's, you know, full of beans and he wouldn't know anything had happened. But for a few years after that, I was really, really struggling. And my husband and I both scarred, you know, from what happened with it. But um, I really struggled. I had a diagnosis of PTSD and I really struggled with it. And I found myself, you know, I was just tearful a lot. And I couldn't talk about the whole thing without crying and had all kinds of issues around it. And I... I went and got some um, therapy about it all. And this fabulous lady I saw said, try thinking about it as post-traumatic stress. So don't label yourself as having a disorder because that keeps you in a box and keeps you trapped. Just think about it that, you know, this awful thing's happened to you and and that's it. It's happened to you and you're working out how to move forward with this in your past. And that really liberated me, that, that, um, that whole switching my perception of, having a disorder to just taking that that bit away so I had post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. and that lifted everything for me and that's very much like um when we talk about addiction and drinking you take you took the label off yeah yeah yeah. and then people get trapped in this box and they're allowed to move forward with their life and it's it's up to it's up to us as individuals to decide if we want to be in a box if we want to have a label or if we want to choose a different reality and if we do how we're going to get there it's all there's so much mindset like with everything in life I think so what is your Christmas looking like um you know where you guys are like um I can tell you ours is pretty much gone our Christmas is done for um we're we're in the in uh what's called a cold red lockdown where we live and and basically, yeah. we're not allowed visitors. Um, we can't. Uh, you can't even have someone visit in your backyard. Like you can't even go outside and have visitors, or you'll get a ticket if they catch you. Um, no. So Christmas is is basically um, like my girlfriend and I were talking about that today. We're trying to schedule how are we gonna. Um, her daughter, my kids, we have to. You know, everything is just gonna be uh, well, not Zoom, but whatever, FaceTime. That's going to be our Christmas, sit in front of the computer screen, talking to the kids. And that's it. We won't be able to see them. We won't be able to, you know, and, and we accept that. I mean, it is, it, it, I don't like it and nobody does, but at least I see it as it, it's a, a means to an end and the end we have to get to. So I know that this is, it's not going to be like this next Christmas. So I can, I can afford to give up one Christmas if I have to. Uh, this is the way I'm looking at it. But I know there's a lot of people that are really, really struggling with this here. So I'm just wondering, like, what, what's it like where you are? are? Are there, you know, people struggling with, with the holidays? I mean, people struggle with that to, even without a pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And my heart breaks for you, Grant. I'm really glad that you've got that um, such a great attitude to that you can, you know, we've got the technology to see loved ones and, we're giving this Christmas away in order to have the future ones, which I think is such a great approach. Um, 
uh, we're actually, I feel I kind of hesitant about saying it because we don't have any restrictions at the moment in Queensland. So in parts of Australia, down in Sydney, there's been a, an outbreak recently. Um, so they're in lockdown. We've closed our border between our state and their state. So you have to stay, you know, within Queensland. Right. Um, but most of the people I know don't want to anyway. We're, my husband's part of a big family and we're all gathering at our house t- tomorrow because it's Christmas Eve here. So we're, we're gathering here because we've got a pool. And yeah, there'll be quite a lot of us. There'll be fourteen, and the kids. And no, and you know what? That that's great. And 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 yeah. I I don't think you should feel at all guilty for the rest of of the places that don't get this. I think you should hang on to this and celebrate it as best you can for the rest of us. Yeah, thank you. I will. Um, I'll be looking forward to catching up with my family in the UK on Zoom, and I they've got a very similar to your code red. Most of my family are in tier four lockdown, which is the same kind of thing. You can't have people come and visit. You can't leave the house um, unless I think it's for exercise or for essential shopping. There's no pubs, no restaurant. Nothing's open. You're not allowed to go anywhere. And I think that's really hard. But I'm looking forward to um, catching up with them online. I'm looking forward to the fact that we can do that. I do feel for a lot of people that um, who are very, real family bods, because we're also different. You see, some people love big Christmases and for some people it will actually be quite lovely having some solitude and not feeling the pressures of Christmas day there's it can the pressures of what we're expected to do and and be at Christmas can lead people to coping mechanisms like drinking too much because we're expected to you know all this consumerism and being jolly and seeing people we don't normally see during the year can be really hard for a lot of people so it, it definitely depends on who you are. For some people, it will be lovely having a quieter Christmas and for others, it will just be agony. Um, but I think it is what it is. And like you say, hopefully Christmas 2021, we'll all be able to get exactly what we want for Christmas, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean for us, I, I, I firmly believe that um, once we get through this winter, um, you know, then it's going to be spring, summer, it's warmer. I think we're still going to have to social distance, but we'll be able to spend time outside, you know, with, with our kids, that sort of thing, social distance. Might have to wear masks. I don't know, but whatever. And that's what we did last summer. We would go for bike rides with them. We'd, we'd you know, go for walks or whatever and, and stay, you know, 10 feet apart or whatever. But at least we got to do that. And, and I think if we yeah. can just get through this winter and, and then at least we're back to that and by fall, I think we'll be out of this. So I don't think I'm going to go through another winter. So I feel as long as I can get through this winter, then I'm home free. And, and I know I can do it. I mean, we don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, right. What do you think about the vaccine that's, um, I know in the UK they've been trialing it? Um, we started, they started, uh, actually today, they, they approved um, Moderna today here. Um, they, we've, they've been using Pfizer for about a week now. They've started, they started using it in, um, uh, care home, um, some of the care homes and, and, and the staff in the care homes, I think have gotten it so far. Um, so it's, it's out there. Um, would I take it? Absolutely. I know some people think 
you know, oh, but you know, what if, what if it, you know, certain reactions to it and stuff. By the time I get it, and I'm probably going to be the bottom 20% because I'm, I'm only 60. I, I don't have any under, you know, lying health conditions. So I, I, I don't think it's, it's going to get to me anytime soon. And if there are any issues, I believe they'll be sorted out by the time it gets to me. So when, when they call me up and say, go get it, I'm, I'm there. Like I, I just, I have no issues at all getting it, but I think it's going to take till next fall before I can, before I actually get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the people that really uh, like the healthcare workers and the, the older generation will probably be getting it first. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. We think it's going to be like the healthcare workers will get it. The, the, you know, people in the elderly homes, uh, first responders, you know, police, firemen, ambulance, um, and then just, you know, then I think it'll start going by, you know, just people with underlying conditions and then people with less underlying conditions, but older, and it'll just sort of trickle down by the time it gets to me. Like I said, I think I'll be the bottom 20%, or, which I'm fine with. I, I, I can wait. Like I said, as long as I can get through this winter, then I'm fine because I see the end. And it sounds you have cold winters, is that right? Mm-hmm. It's cold and dark and yeah, and- yeah. It's it, it gets dark here probably about five o'clock in the evening. Um, oh yeah, okay. We were, we were supposed to get a snowstorm yesterday, last night, but it didn't. But it, it, it we could get a snowstorm here with like twenty five centimeters of snow in one night. Sometimes, like it's yeah, we're we're wow. basically full of snow now till April. Wow, till April. That sounds amazing. Yeah. God. Yeah. See, I love um, I love snow, and I love doing ski seasons over in France and stuff like that. But we just don't get a lot of snow here in Queensland. My kids don't even know what it is. So yeah, that's amazing. You know, the, the older you get, the less you like it. I'll tell you. As a kid, I loved it, but now, now I I could do without it. But yeah. Yeah, I get that. It's nice being warm. It's nice seeing the sunshine. I, I under- Coming from England, where we have the same thing in winters, it would get dark at four o'clock, but there wasn't even the joy of snow. It was just dark and drizzly and grey and wet. I can really understand, um, yeah, the appeal of um, sunshine and blue skies is always a good thing. So speaking of England, I had I had another question that, that I thought of. H- have you heard about what's going on with this new strain in the UK right now? Yeah, a little bit. I don't, um, I get anxious if I watch too much news, so I haven't really dug into it, but it sounds like a bit of a worry that it's mutating. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I understand, I mean, I I may, I'm sorry if I brought it up, I'm not trying to stress you out here at all, but (laughs) from what I understand it, they say that the, the vaccine will still fight it. They think, um, they don't think it's any worse or deadlier they just think it's it's more contagious so they said with the and there's two of them now there was one strain two days ago today there was another new one but they think the only difference between these two are that they're more contagious so so they they spread quicker um like i know like in canada we did lock down uh, any flights or any anything incoming from the UK two or three days ago? I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. So you had been allowing them up till yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. Wow. See, our biggest problem up here as far as neighbors is the states. Like we're right next door. Mm. And, yeah. and right now where we border them is where they're having like massive breakouts right now. So they're, they're sort of Midwest, North, you know, mid Northern states is where they're really having a lot of issues. And that's right next door to us. So luckily we've been locked down since this started. You can't come across the border unless you're bringing, you know, groceries or like, you know, um, trucks and stuff, but people just can't cross the border. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a little scary being right next door to those guys right now. Yeah, I can imagine because there's yeah, there's a all kinds of stuff going on there that you really wouldn't want coming over. I can really understand that. I find it mind blowing to be honest that um, that that there has been travel, like you're saying, you're locking down the flights from the UK. That's the weirdest thing about being in Australia. We're very lucky that we don't have so much COVID, but we can't leave. We're effectively prisoners. <laughs> in our own country, I find incredibly challenging because I'm a bit of a bit of a nomad, bit of a gypsy. Um, we haven't been able to go anywhere for, you know, since March. So it's, you can't fly anywhere. You can't actually leave the, leave the country, which is, you know, it's a big country. So there's lots of places to go here, but I still find it, the, the human rights side of that really blows my mind every time I think about it. And I try not to think about it too much, but I it's, suppose the upside I mean... is that it means it's, I think it's the same here. Um, uh, I mean, th- there are flights, but I think it's more um, if it's like required flights or, or whatever. But um, <clears throat> I wouldn't go on a plane right now. I just don't trust it. But um, mm. I mean, and, and, you know, for us, that was a big thing, too. We just retired. Like, I've been retired, you know, less than two years. And our big thing was travel. That's what we wanted to do. We were going to go everywhere. And and then this hit. So uh, that put a real crimp into our, you know, whole retirement thing. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. We'll we'll sort of deal with it. And, and, and you know, like same, you know, where you guys are, we're a big country too. And there's lots of places here that I haven't seen. So, we're, you know, we're hoping to, you know, jump in the car and, and, and see as much of our own country at first until we feel safe to get on planes again. And then, and, you know, we will at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you asked about um, vaccines. How do you guys feel about them? Um, because I want to travel, because I want to go to the UK, I'd be prepared to do it. But I'm not, I don't know about my kids having them, to be honest. I don't know. I feel a bit strange about that because uh, I think when you're older, you're more prepared to take those chances. Um, but we just don't, I'm just, I worry about things like, um, you know, what's going to happen to the kids of the kids having the vaccination, that kind of stuff just makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like well, for for me, I guess I I, I come at it from a little different because my kids are grown, right? They're they're you know the, my youngest mm-hmm. is like twenty six, so I I don't mm-hmm. have that anymore. Um, anything they do now is on them, right? They you know it's their decisions. They you know they deal with it, and and they have you know some of them have kids, but it's up to them to deal with you, know, right? So I I don't have those mm-hmm. same fears or issues that that you know as a parent of, of you know making those decisions but um 
I just think that like, I, I, you know, when you travel, right, you, you have your passport. If you want to enter another country, you need your passport. I think what's going to happen down the road is you're going to need some form of ID that says you were vaccinated or they won't let you in. I, I mean, mm, I, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I just, I just believe that that is something that, that, that will probably happen because like w- when this is all over, say next fall or whatever, you're not going to take your masks and throw them in the garbage. You're going to stick them in a bag. You're going to put them in a drawer somewhere and you're going to know where they are because I think anybody that lived through this is going to, always in the back of our mind, we're going to think it can happen again. We're all, we're, we're going to be a little sort of hyper vigilant. We're going to be on edge a little bit because we know that this can happen again. And I think that that's, you know, the same thing with the whole travel thing is I think, I think countries are just going to say, you know what, we're not taking chances. So we need this for this document or whatever. We need proof that, that you've been vaccinated or, you know, I mean, it might not happen, but I'm just trying. I I, I kind of compare it to 9/11, right? The, the, the all the changes that 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 made to uh, you know airport security and you know security when it came to traveling and stuff. I see this doing the same sort of thing. Like I think you're gonna, you know, every major airport's gonna have you know scanning your for temperature, you know that sort of thing, and it's just gonna become just a normal way of travel now. Like I. I I think it's just going to be just an everyday thing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's just going to become normal, isn't it? That that's the way to to do it in the future to travel. Well, and that, I mean, to me, that's that. As far as this whole pandemic thing, that to me has always been sort of the the thing that sort of freaked me out more than anything is all these things that we're doing now, like standing in line. Like, like I went grocery shopping yesterday and I stood in line for about five minutes. It wasn't a long lineup, but it was a lineup to get in the store. They only let in so many people at a time. And, and, you know, sometimes I stop and I think, what kind of world am I living in that I got to stand in line to go and get a, you know, a, a loaf of bread and milk or whatever. Like it's, and you know, what kind of world is this where, you know, Oh, I forgot my mask. I got to run back to the car and get my mask. And that's just a normal thing. Like having a mask is as normal as putting on a pair of gloves now. And 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 sometimes I just think, how did we get to this? Like nothing, uh, I'm 60 and nothing in my life prepared me for anything that we're going through right now. I could not have, if anybody told me this even two, three years ago, I would never have believed what we're doing right now. No, that's exactly right. It seems incredible, doesn't it? Like you couldn't make it up. It's just so bonkers. The whole, the whole situation is absolutely crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. But here we are, and and I, and you know, I just think it's gonna, like I said, we're, I I think we're gonna be in a whole different world when this is over. I mean, hopefully, hopefully the changes aren't gonna be that disruptive. I guess for, you know, to, I, I hope it's, you know, maybe in 10 years, we're just going to be, you know, carrying on and almost forget it. I mean, in one way, you don't want to forget it because you want to learn the lessons. But in another way, I'd like to forget this. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I know. We want to move forward, don't we? But 
you're right, we can learn from it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's been really good talking to you um, about all this. It's been very thought provoking. Thanks for sharing, Annabelle, and stay safe. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's been lovely chatting to you, Grant, and really lovely to connect with your listeners as well.